Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. This episode of the Nightbird Radio Podcast was brought to you by yours truly. If you'd like to support the show and hear your name or a cryptic message in lieu of your name read at the top of the next episode, head to nightbirdpodcast.com and navigate to the support the show page. Thank you so much for your generous support. You keep this show going. And remember to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcasts and give me a five-star rating. That helps a lot. I'm also on Instagram at Nightbird Podcast, on YouTube at Nightbird Podcast, on Mastodon at Tim Saylor at Numenauts.club, and on Telegram at t.me slash Nightbird Radio. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. This week I was joined by the Heresy Arc himself, Miguel Connor. Miguel is an author, speaker, and the voice behind Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. He's also been, for me, a real Gnostic revealer, as well as an inspiration for this podcast. Of course, we talked about Gnosticism and recovery. We talked about personal awakening as an act of revolution. Carl Jung, the value of the self and the ego, the eternal language of the soul, complexes and the counterfeit spirit, the innate intelligence of the body, initiation, entheogens and plant spirits, free speech, Authenticity versus Safety, Sophia in Popular Culture, and the Divine Feminine, AI, the Enlightenment of Being Useful, the Addict is the Demiurge, Being Both Human and Divine, Advice for Those Waking Up in This Time, and so much more. But without further introduction, let's get to the conversation. Miguel Connor, welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's a real blessing to have you here today. How's the How's your 2023 been so far? How's the gnosis? The gnosis is coming. So are the archons. <laughs> it's, uh, nothing has changed uh, in this age of Mercury or age of Hermes. You just got to be on your toes. Yeah, sure thing. So um, let's just jump into it. You know, I've got I've got some topics here. I figured we'd probably, you know, go off on tangents, you know, how it goes, but there are some things I'd really like to hear about. Um, one of the things I want to ask you, this is a question I ask, um, try to ask all my guests, Miguel, what were you afraid of as a child? What was I afraid of? I guess like all children, uh, I think I'm reading this really good called um, by uh, Gabor Mate, the the myth of normal, and uh, he he really I think takes it to the next level, and he talks about how there are two things that when we were young, two forces that are pulling us when we are young. One is uh, safety and authenticity, right? As children, as as well as permanent members of the human race 
we want safety, right? And it does work if we can, we sort of this herd mentality, do what our parents say, do, it does work. But uh, also as humans, we also have each one of us a completely individual path and personality and destiny. So there's this pull that we have and our parents haven't figured out and society is pulling us this way, you know, I mean, you know, as a kid, be yourself, but also obey the laws or go to mm. school. Yeah. So it was always this pull. And I always felt completely confused by this pull because I was, again, one of those kids who was, I guess you would call a dreamer, somebody who was into fantasy, somebody who definitely was meant to be to path to go his own path, but was always sort of constrained by, I mean, if things, uh, people think things are bad. And now think of the seventies and eighties, and uh, I was I was living in other countries. I mean, it was like the church, the school, the parents. I mean, not feeling was uh, when I came from a culture where, where expressing your emotions was a sign of weakness, and uh, which is a completely illogical because kids are meant to express their feelings. That's how they find their authenticity: working their anger, working their fear working their desires so um i don't so i guess that kind of yeah <laughs> knowing i would never fit in i think was my biggest fear but mm. also my biggest hope yeah right it, it starts off as this sort of constraining force but becomes the impetus of our liberation right like because i i relate to that a lot um i remember like and you know this was in like the 90s and the um in the early 2000s right but just a sort of similar situation in school where I, I never, I always hated it. I, um, I always knew that it was like a brainwashing breaking thing. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, probably I'll have Pink Floyd a little bit to help for, to thank for that. Oh yeah. Help me. <laughs> yeah, for help sure. Me. Um, but you know, I remember like coming home from school and like we had to do these projects and I didn't ever want to do any of it. And I would just be like crying, crying in my room. Well, I shared a room with my brother um, and he would kind of, he would say, he, I remember one time he said to me, um, this was like probably, he might not even remember telling me this, but this was like probably one of those early sparks of like a Gnostic kind of way of thinking. He told me, um, take everything they teach you and use it against them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that was a comfort to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, you know, I like. I eventually kind of learned to play the game to my own peril, right? And I think that um that we can get into some of that. So um let me ask you this then. Were so were you into church as a kid? Like what was your experience with that? Cuz you you grew up Catholic, right? Yeah, I did grow up Catholic, Roman Catholic. It was all good. I always was very interested and accepting of all religions. My mom was very much an ecumenical Catholic. And I think what really separated me was two things. One, I was growing up in Mexico. And Mexico in the 70s was going through this weird, progressive fever in the Catholic Church. It was very hippie. Like, you know, the priest would say, you know, Jesus is your brother. He's my brother. We are all sons of God. And they'd play rock music and mass. <laughs> so it was a very Hell different. Yeah. That reminds at me of my same, experience in church. <laughs> at the same time, too, I mean, again, my mom 
and maybe this is just a, a Catholic thing where you just take things in perspective. You don't question the magical realism because I remember asking my mom, I was like, uh, mom, do you see this story about the flood? Uh, it's what's going on and the talking snake and did this shit really happen? And my <laughs> mom said, nope. I said, oh, there's probably myths of ancient people. And when I heard the word myth, man, I was off to the races. I didn't know what myth was. It seemed like it was this combination of fantasy, religion, and history all into one that yeah. you could have fun. So once I saw the myth, I was like, yeah, Christian myth, uh, Greek myth, uh, Norse myth. So I think couching it in terms in the very subtle idea of myth really, really helped me with uh, all religions in, in turn. Then you get into Joseph Campbell, Marseille Eliade and all those, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Cool. So you were engaging with that stuff at a pretty at a pretty young age? To the best of my abilities, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't uh it would be until I got to college before you, you really start talking to teachers about anthropology and mythology and sociology and getting into Jung and the, then things start falling apart. But the rest of these, yeah. I, had a, <laughs> I had a nice buffer where I could say, you know, the old Testament is just a big comic book. I, I can read graphic novels that are very violent and enjoy them as much as uh, mythology, you know, the Christian mythology. Yeah. That's interesting. I, that's yeah. That sounds that sounds great. I I had a different experience. I think I um, it was literal for me, and so I was always, you know, I grew up in the South here in the Southern U.S. So I was a Methodist, but we might as well have been Baptists in terms of. Oh, yeah. It's just kind of all has that flavor down here, like. And um, so I would read the myths and the Norse myths and the Greek myths, and be like, okay, well these guys have to be like Nephilim or something, right? Like, how does this fit into my own thing? Um. Which, of course, that fell apart, too, eventually, right? But then it kind of came back together in a weird way <laughs> once I reengaged yeah. with this stuff. So, okay, so you talk about going to college. And then, so when did you come exposed to the idea of Gnosticism? When, you know, when did that start kind of entering your life? That was later on in life. I mean, I remember, yeah, I went to a, uh, a Roman Catholic University, St. Thomas in Houston, but it was run by the Basilian Basilian's order, and they were very—I uh, don't know about forget, but very intellectual. Um, so uh, they, you know, they also they almost agreed with my mom. You know, I remember the priest in uh, my New Testament course saying, uh, talking about the Virgin Mary. Somebody saying, "Well, is that did that happen?" And the priest was like, "Well, in ancient times, gods were having sex with women. It was a normal story in all religions." <laughs> so even the the Basilian priests knew they understood the whole myth and psycho spirituality concept and all that. But I I remember the same priests were taking an Old Testament course, and he's just out of nowhere whipped out the Gnostics and say, you know. There was this group believe in reincarnation, this and that, stay away from them. And I didn't think much about it. I was uh, pretty happy in my Catholicism then. But later on, it started sort of, it was, my ears would perk up whenever I'd hear about them in art or history or anything like that. And, uh, of course, the uh, the Dan Brown Da Vinci Code phenomenon in the late 90s and the early 21st century was just so big. You were always hearing about the Cathars and uh, the formation of early Christianity. So I became more interested in just slowly uh, 
through the years started studying them little by little as I was uh, sort of on this journey, trying different religions and being very open minded about different religions and philosophies and eventually just Gnosticism just stuck. It was a, just a better fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's definitely what has been a better fit for me too. I think, you know, I talked a little bit about this to the email I sent you um, when I invited you on, but it was really, it solved a lot of these conundrums I had. Cause my, my conundrums with Christianity ended up being like these philosophical questions, right? Like why put the tree there if you don't want them to eat the fruit? Like, why even have it there? Or like, you know, why does the Old Testament God, like, why is he so murderous and bloodthirsty? You know, like I had really real problems with this. And yeah, when I, yeah, it's all the hidden stuff. You wonder about it. why isn't reincarnation there? Uh, it seems Mary Magdalene and the Virgin Mary should have more. Why is there no goddess? Uh, yeah, where's the so goddess? Much more. Yeah, where is the idea? How come you have these figures having direct experiences with God, but they don't allow it in church and stuff like that? Yeah, the right. Gnostics sort of were in the background, like, yeah, we were the the mystical branch, the mystery religion branch of Christianity all along and that got suppressed. Yeah. And so like that, that was something that was definitely always missing to me too. Right. Like where's the direct revelation? Like I'm reading all these stories of people who had direct experience of God, but like, I'm not allowed to directly experience God. Like I have to go to this person to tell me. Exactly. That was a problem for me, you know, like, um, so it was really nice to come across this thing where it's like, oh, this is revealed to you personally. Like, it's up to all of us to experience our our experience um, of the divine. Yeah, I exactly. I mean, we're all unique. All of us have a different path, as I tell people. I think this also turns people off about Gnosticism because there's no... Uh, buzzfeed listicle or guru that'll give you <laughs> 10 commandments to gnosis it's like no the gnostics were anarchists they were divided into hundreds perhaps thousands of lodges and it was all like you need to find the formula that works for you only you can give yourself a path and that's a that's still a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people Man, people just it want really the, is Isn't they want a crazy? formula yeah people well, really it's hard work they want that like and you know, to some extent I did too. Like, I can't say I never did. Um, right. Cause there's some comfort there or like, you got, right. It's hard. Yeah, if you're broke, especially it. if you're broken down, <laughs> you're beaten, you're looking for answers. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember getting off drugs and going to an AA meeting. I was like, you just tell me what to do. I will yeah, follow. I'll those do 12 whatever. Steps. <laughs> I'll follow those 12 steps to hell and back. But at some point, you you know you get a, a foundation you get a balance you get a thirst for more you get a taste of what it feels to be not just in recovery but that spirituality and you're like okay and now i need to uh now i need to find this what works for me and that's hard because uh it, well it's a lot of hard work and you're on your own for much of the time what's going to be your prescription of rituals and philosophies that's going to expand your consciousness and allow you to take that either that inner journey into finding your true self. And man, I'll tell you this. One of the reasons why I enjoy your podcast so much and why you've been really helpful to me in my own journey is because like there is a really weird place where like 
um, 12 step AA stuff and Gnosticism go really nice together, right? Because there is this idea of like your own conception of God, which we just touched on, right? But it's like this path to where I find my own, um, my own truth, you know? And I think that your your work like really embodies that, man. Like I really, it's it's really been helpful for me. Well, it it does. To, even the twelve steps is influenced by Gnosticism because uh, on a in a direct indirect way, there was a, a guy I forget his name. He went to Carl Jung. Yeah, and uh, so you've heard the story, and right. uh, he said uh, he's like I. I I'm so into this alcoholism. And you said, I can't cure you. And the guy, what are you talking? I just spent all this money to come to Switzerland and <laughs> you're supposed to be the leading psychologist in the world. And you said, the only thing that will help you is a religious experience. Get over your alcoholism. And a light bulb went on in this guy and he did stay sober. And he talked to somebody else. And this guy went to Bill W and he was on the, he was also on the rope sitting at his house while his wife was at work, just drinking gin. And, the guy said, you know, Bill, why don't you, have you thought of uh, creating a god of your own conception, creating your own god, your own egregore, your own myth, as I say on my show? And the, a light bulb went on to Bill W. And Bill W. actually, later in his life, did correspond with Carl Jung and said, thank you. You are, you are the foundation between step two and three. They came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, which is very union made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So even in the 12 steps, there is that sort of Gnostic vibe. Yeah. I love it. Those are really, and cool for your letters. listeners. Yeah. It's a, yeah. For your listeners, obviously Carl Jung, his, uh, his, uh, work is, uh, heavily influenced by the Gnostics. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And so there are those letters between, um, between Bill Wilson and Young, then that's what you're referencing, right? For the listeners as right. well. Um, if they want to check exactly. those out, they can find them. Um, so, okay. So more on your journey, if you don't mind. Um, so when did drugs and alcohol enter the picture uh, in relation to your the religious quest that we're talking about um, before in your life? You know, like, when did that come into the picture and how did that affect things? That kind of early, I would say around 15 or 16. And it's hard to, it's always hard to find that, that crosswords where you're a looking for something because you've been reading all this cool stuff, psychedelic stuff, and you're listening to the rock music and you're listening to the, you know, Indian gurus in the sixties and altered states of mind. And you're, you have a thirst because you realize this normative reality is just so constraining. You're not getting the answers you want in your churches, your parents at schools. But then there's that point too, where you're also like, this is helping me escape because uh, traumatic things happened to me as a child. I was not adjusting to society. I was in a lot of, yeah, I had a lot of uh, uh, trauma trauma and pain from my childhood. So when is that uh, crossroads? I can't even tell you, but at some point it just got, uh, it just got really bad. I think there was a saying that what did this psychologist said that it's, it's hard to quit something 
that almost always works. <laughs> it's, yeah, you're never totally. there with this stuff. You think, oh my God, I feel better. I'm relaxed. I'm high. But it never worked. The, the next day you're like, well, shit, I feel like shit. I was almost there. I almost next time I'll touch get it. God. Yeah, I almost <laughs> touch God. I just need to I need to adjust my drinking and my cocaine or whatever you're doing. If I can just get but, the right combination. I remember right, exactly. man, I remember like at the end of my run, um I started to get really paranoid and I would be like because it did stop working eventually for me, which is like I'm so grateful for that now. It's like I guess maybe tolerance or whatever it is. Um or just, you know, a, a hand doing something for me what I couldn't for myself, perhaps, uh, right. is how I see it. But um, it really just stopped working, and I, and I started getting paranoid, like, what are they doing to the drugs? What has the government done to the drugs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought it was that, but really it was my relationship to them. It wasn't working anymore, and um, I came to that place of just incomprehensible demoralization. Uh, where Yeah, yeah, it's crushing. Yeah. But um you know, it's interesting because sometimes I try to see the archons this way too and I've talked a lot about this on this show. Um but the way I look at alcohol and drugs now is with just this lens of immense gratitude and because they've been my greatest teacher in a way because I wouldn't be here like where I am if it wasn't for that. Uh-huh. Like something had to break something had to wake me up and perhaps it was my stubbornness that made it have to be something like that. I don't know, but, um, I see them as a teacher now, uh, and I can look with gratitude. And so I sort of have that attitude towards the archons as well. Um, like they're also like, I also wouldn't have waken up, woken up to a lot of the things that are happening in the world if it wasn't for these archons playing their hand in the world does that ring true for you at all yeah for sure i mean obviously gratitude is always so important no matter what i mean that's how you that's how you could rid yourself of the past you have to integrate the past you have to make peace with it you have to make peace with your enemies and you have to uh, give them as much gratitude and love as you can and understanding, understand why these things happen to you and how uh, others were blind or being manipulated. So, yeah, it's uh, I would say it's uh, certainly important, too. I mean, and it's always hard going back to Bill W. and Carl Jung. This is at the end of their lives. So both felt like they could just say whatever the hell they wanted. They'd already, <laughs> they've done the tour. They, they'd earned their stripes and. Uh, Jung always said that, especially for addicts, there's two forces. Yeah, there's the archons, which you can't integrate like our shadow, like our past. It has to be integrated within you. But he always said there's an archetype of the devil. And this is the root of addiction. And this cannot be integrated. You have to run away from this type of evil. Mm. So that's, and that's a hard one. I mean, uh, again, uh, it's always very subtle it's always very hard do i run away from evil do i face it and uh again it's uh it's it's trial testing and trial and that really i mean like i can't help it because a lot of things bring to my mind the matrix but that really makes me think of the agents right it's like when you come across these guys you run (laughs) yeah but at the end neo he had to integrate the whole matrix into himself he he came to the point where okay i am running but now 
I've defeated them. Both haven't worked in the movie. So now at the end, I have to just absorb everything into the light. Well, yeah. And I think that goes really nicely with the Philip K. Dick. Um, like if I fight the empire directly, I sort of become the empire. Exactly. That sort of Nietzschean idea of like the abyss gazing back, right? Like if I, if I fight the archons on their own terms, I will become an archon. Like, it's like putting on the ring. It's like, um, you know, I put on that, like when Gandalf is talking about, I would put on this ring out of his desire to do good, but through me, it would wield a power greater than, you know, I could imagine or how, whatever he says. I think that same thing is an important. So like, this is how I struggle with the archons is I've used that. It's a very hippie image, but it's like putting that flower in the gun, you know? Um, and the Neo image is, is good because it's like, I can't fight you on your own terms. I have to integrate you because I think just as much as this world can be the black iron prison, it can be the palm tree garden. It's just about my perspective. Oh, agreed. Agreed. I mean, this, according to the Gnostics, this world is just a copy of the real world just like in the matrix uh the world is just a copy of 1999 western world but it does have all the solutions there and it's a question of being able to see them but yeah to fight the empire is to become infected by its derangement you right. cannot there is no other way so you have to find uh the answer is always you have to work on your own awakening and that's where the answers will happen. And you have to find a different way uh, to do things. You have to show them that there is uh, endless possibilities. Then we can do it. And at the same time, you have to starve the empire. Just you have to. Yeah. You, you can't give power to your own demons. You can't give power to the demon that is our government. <laughs> right. That's why we, you know, that's why there is crypto and growing locally and buying from small business and moving away off the grid if you know if 20 percent of the population did that what do you think it would do to this country they'd be in trouble yeah and i think you know like my optimism says that will happen there is like i wonder how it'll happen <laughs> like because it's very possible that it could be a like a reaction to like even more oppression that it just has to happen or some catastrophe who knows but um i do see that happening i think in this age that we'll, we'll be seeing that. Uh, I am optimistic about it. I think, th like you say, like it's the best time to be awake. Yeah, and and again, it's almost like it's um, it's a it's an academic argument. We don't want to see people but uh, suffering, and we want to see the world get better. But the job, whether it's the good times or the bad times, your job is still the same. You need to wake up and keep waking up and find your authentic self. That's that's where all the answers happen in any age, in any place. Uh, so your job is always the same, no matter what's going on around. The solution is always the same. Again, we go back to A, there is always a solution, and the solution yeah. is your recovery. It's right. always going to be your recovery. Okay, and now now I'm glad you brought it back around to AA with the talk of self, because there is a question I wanted to ask you, and I know I've heard you discuss it before, but I wanted to ask it because I find that people have a lot of problems and trouble with this. Um, the idea of self 
and often in recovery circles is seen as like this thing that I have to like lose or like it's a it's a bad thing right like have you heard this kind of discourse yeah it's a it's definitely a uh i'd say uh a glitch in aa or a tragic mistake or something yeah. because and i know bill w and this was the early 20th century and there was sort of eastern thought was coming in and people were trying to lean on the you know the christian mystics of your it was a great time for spirituality here in the west especially for coastal uh uh, liberals who had access to this wonderful stuff, but ca- came this idea that the ego was bad, which makes absolutely no sense because right. whether it's Freud or Jung, or the ego is a part of us that has to deal with reality. It is a part of us that has to deal with this universe, this Newtonian universe, has to make things go from A to B, make sure we survive, uh, and all that other stuff. And while the psyche, our soul, is a part of us that's dealing with the sort of higher rescue operations, spiritual warfare part. The problem, again, is that when the ego is warped or weak, then it becomes easily programmable or cannot deal with consensus reality. And that's when bad things happen, because if the ego starts collapsing, well, you know what happens. So the key is to have a strong ego that understands and is subservient to our higher purpose or our life mission or can listen to the voice of our soul can listen to the spirits can understand that yeah my job is to deal with material reality but i also have to listen to the higher worlds so we can accomplish our mission and be integrated completely with the self as i would say so yeah unfortunately this idea of ego death and all that i think yeah, if you're having a good ayahuasca experience or you're meditating, yeah, the ego should probably just disappear for a while so you can just get those energies up. But yeah, we need a strong ego, a healthy, strong ego in this world. Yeah, and like um, being alive. And obviously a strong ego doesn't mean, yeah, being uh, bullying or materialistic or all that, you know, all those bad qualities. That's not a strong ego. That's a completely unbalanced ego. A strong mm-hmm. ego is somebody that's good for society, good for our family, and good for ourselves. Right. It isn't reacting out of fear because that's usually how those lashing out sort of activities and behaviors are motivated, right? So I I like to point people to the idea of like in that third step prayer, it's, um, it's not free me from self. It's free me from the bondage of self. Right. Right. Like, which is a totally different, totally different idea. And I, because I think that, like, when I'm aligned with my higher self and my ego is aligned with that and my will is aligned with that, then that's the perfect image of flow. Like, I'm just, I'm a, it's like that St. Francis prayer. I'm an instrument, uh, you know? Right. Oh, can you give, give me like 30 seconds? Me yeah, yeah. Second. I gotta get, hold on. Nightbirds, I hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far, and there's more to come. But first, I have to ask that you support the show. As I'm sure you've noticed, there are no commercials on this show. There are no paywalls. You get everything up front. For there to be free dialogue, I think it must remain uncaged by the interests of advertisers. But Nightbird Radio does cost time and money to make. And your support means I can spend less time delivering pizza and more time doing this. That's a win-win. 
So that's why Nightbird Radio is a value-for-value value podcast. I hope you've found value in this show, but I can't and won't dictate how much. Only you can decide that. But what I can do is invite you to take that value, turn it into a number, and head to nightbirdpodcast.com, navigate to the Support the Show page, and donate. We're also listed on podcastindex.org, which means you're able to send Bitcoin via the Lightning Network using your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, which can be found at newpodcastapps.com. I also accept services and dry goods in trade. There are many forms in which value is stored, after all. Email me at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com for more information. Sponsors will get a special mention at the top of the show. Thank you for your generous support. Do you want to get in on the conversation? I've teamed up with Numenauts to offer you the opportunity to do just that. For only a dollar a month, you'll get access to Numenauts.club, a Mastodon server for animists and artists that brings together the Nightbird Radio and Soapbox podcast communities. Just click the link that I've provided in the show description to get started. Now let's get back to the conversation. All right, I'm back. Apologies. No, you're good. But yeah, no, you're 100% right. We need a strong ego. I think uh, there was a, a Buddhist teacher who recently said something which made sense because people were asking me, well, how do you tell the difference between if it's your ego or your soul talking, your your higher self, your daemon? And he said, well, if the voice inside of you has fear or wants safety or wants to be loved, then that's the ego. If it's anything else, it's a place of reassurance, a place there is no fear, then that's probably your soul talking. Of course, the problem, too, is that the ego does speak with language. <laughs> the soul does speak through uh, dreams, metaphors, symbols, myths. And, yeah, it's frustrating, but, you know, that's the language of the soul. That's the language of the God. It's not interested in, oh, you little humans, you monkeys invented language 5,000 years ago, so we're so the gods are just going to kowtow. No, the soul is eternal, and it speaks a different language. Yeah, I like that. That's interesting, because for some reason it made me think of, there's this technique, and it's in like necromancy and ancestor work, where if a spirit comes to you... It, like a ghost comes to you and you ask um what do you need if it answers that it needs anything then it is in some state of um in some state of unwellness which is interesting and i never kind of made that connection before but um Huh, I just thought that was a cool... Yeah, that makes sense, because, yeah, we go back AA again. It's Gnostic, uh, it's shamanistic, it's mystery-related. It's like, you know, you always ask, thy will be done, right? The soul yeah. doesn't is not interested in, oh, if I only have this girl, I'll be sober. Or if I have this job, right. I'll be... No, that's the ego wanting... That's his job. That's it's not good or bad. The ego has a job, and it's willing to step, but the soul has a higher purpose, which is... What is thy will, God? What what are we what are we going to do now? Where are we yeah. going to take this thing? And the thing that I think is so gnostic about it is that that answer also comes from inside me. The, and the, what the twelve steps do is clear away that gunk, so that I can I can tell what voice it is. Exactly. So when I'm when I'm bogged down with all these resentments, fears, um, 
you know, all these things and worries of these things I've done, I am unable to hear that voice properly. Like, but you know, when I'm actively doing this work and I know that other, like there's plenty of other, like this is ancient techniques, like that have been just used by AA because they work. Right. Work. And that there's plenty of religions that have this sort of, um, like technology, like confession and, and things like this. And, um, I just think it's just for me, it's the only thing that's worked. Yeah. And again, it's, that's your journey and it works for you. And that's, right. that's the way it is. Not everybody, you know, <laughs> yeah. grocks to AA. That's not, that's right. fine. There's, there's other ways you can stay sober and have a spiritual recovery. So absolutely yeah. nothing. Like, yeah. It, I mean, what worked for Socrates works for us. It's simple. I mean, when people tell me, well, what's at the core of this? I go, the core of this is, is the simple Maxime at the Temple of Delphi. Know thyself. It's yeah. simple. That's it. That's the answer to life. Now, getting there, of course, again, we go back to your journey is different. Your journey is different than Odysseus or Jesus or Muhammad. But it is your journey, and you do have a special one. Each one of us has a special mission on this planet to find our authentic self and give away this gift to the universe. and. It's completely unique. It's amazing, but it's again, it's hard because you've got to find it. You got to go in. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things too where um, I can remember who I am, and then like literally fifteen minutes later, I can be like screaming at someone in traffic. <laughs> yeah, that's no. Yeah, that's. Uh, I fall that's back asleep. Man. Yeah, yeah. That's. <laughs> I mean, this world is created to make us forget. Yeah. To make us uh, not remember, to make us fall into the machinery of things. That's normal. And I mean, and of course, then Jung brought, brought the idea of, uh, which of complexes, which is kind of the Buddhist idea of skandhas or the Christian or the ancient idea of furies where you, we have the ego, but we also have all these other like, uh, personalities mm. that will yeah. jump in. And then you've seen it. Like you could have the best day and either. Some your some family member will trigger you, and you're cursing and you're angry, and then five minutes later you're yourself and you're like, "Was I possessed? Was I thinking? Yeah. What happened?" And that's so th- beyond the ego. We also have all these other forces, and we of course we've got trauma that lives with us, which is ready to come up and take on a personality. There's memories. There's cultural programming. And I think a lot that, of it you know, is stuff say, we carry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, there's so much that can be created or take over us, like possession, and we have to deal with it. I mean, sometimes yeah, our parent our parent programming will kick in. It's like, why am I acting like my dad? <laughs> you go, you, or why am I acting like my teacher? Or so, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of uh, false selves that we have beyond just. Uh, there's the ego, the soul, and all the little false selves we have. Again, the Jung calls them the complexes, uh, the archons or Gnostics would call it the counterfeit spirit. The Buddhists call it the skandhas, but it's all over the place. Yeah, I've been thinking about the counterfeit spirit a lot, too, in terms of um, AI and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know that is kind you. of a yeah. tangent, right? But um, we'll get there here in a bit. Uh, I did want to say... I think a lot of that um, can be stuff that I've carried with me through other lives too. And like ancestral stuff that needs to be um, integrated and just all kinds of, there's all kinds of like, 
so for me, like a really helpful framework for that stuff is that those are literally ghosts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah you, you, you've got to, yeah, there's something that your ancestors haven't fulfilled and you've got to do it. I mean, the Kabbalah always talks about uh, that we don't have one divine spark. We might have 10. Some might be our yeah. ancestors that were not able to fulfill a mission and it it's up to us. So yeah. we, and he's like, well, that sucks. Well, no, you want to be a hero? <laughs> this is it, man. No, this you're a whole it, ship yeah. of heroes. Like that's, I yeah. love that stuff. The Egyptian kind of um, idea, right? The seven souls. Oh God. Yeah. The Egyptians have it too. And that's a, yeah. The Ba, the Ka. The, oh yeah. Yeah. It's the ancients knew that humans were, as the Hermeticist says, as above, so below us, so within. We literally have an entire universe within us. Right. We are entire worlds. I mean, when you look at the human body, we have yeah. millions of organisms that are eating us. We've got fungus and bacteria in our gut that are eating. We're like, each of us is an ecosystem. It's, we're dinner every single yeah. day. We're- <laughs> so we, we are Gaia. Each one of us is Gaia. It's hilarious. Yeah, we're that galaxy from Men in Black. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ancients, yeah, they knew it. They were a lot more advanced and things got dumbed down with soul, body, and then it gone down to just body and there's no soul. So, but uh, they knew, uh, they understood eternity far better. They didn't understand it. They experienced eternity at all times. That's that's yeah. the, the best feeling in the world, that ecstasy of being in the eternal. Want to hang out with other night birds and soap heads? For only $5 a month, you can gain access to the Polytechnic of the Numenauts, a private Discord server for artists, animists, and searchers that brings together the Nightbird Radio and Soapbox podcast communities. Just click the link I've provided in the show notes to get started. Now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, I wonder about that too, you know, like the modern experience versus that experience and like all the... Because like they're... All right, I will say there's no way that like all this electricity that's being and uh, microwave radiation and all these things that are traveling through the air doesn't somehow affect like our astral bodies or something. I just think there's no way it can't, you know, like you talk. um, I've heard of like indigenous elders talking about how they used to be able to spirit walk better before all the electricity. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a David Lynch movie, like Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think the ancients knew that, too. It's, uh, and not just the electricity, but uh, planets have cosmic rays. I mean, we are being bathed at all times. And it's, again, but the key is that our bodies are amazing tools that if we meditate, if we contemplate, again, we give the ego its job and we give them a good uh, diagram, it will know what to do. The body doesn't lie, as they say, it knows exactly. It's like this thing that always cracks me up is like uh, women will get pregnant and they're like, their bodies will be speaking to them. I need to eat this. I need to. I mean, it's yeah. like them. It's like we think it, it, it's miraculous because they know exactly what their bodies need for their child and for themselves to be healthy. Then when women aren't pregnant, they go back to like men where they're like, oh, what's going on? It's like, no, no. Our bodies are talking to us. They know it and they know what what how to stop these rays they know everything what to eat how much to sleep it's a it's a amazing tool of the of the ego of the soul this body but we've been uh, taught not to listen to our bodies right and i think that's 
one of those things that I find it hard to call an accident. You know, like people are like, well, it's just a coincidence. Like, uh, for one thing, don't really believe in those. But also, like, isn't it strange that all of these coincidences are like things that have cut us off from the land, from our bodies, from our ancestors, from the spirit? And uh, these, it's like all these things that you can't really be disconnected from unless you believe that you're disconnected from. It's the same way I feel like I was when I was in active addiction, you know, like I, I was seeking for something that I already had because I didn't believe that I had it. It's kind of like a roomy thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it was all in me already, yeah. but I didn't believe we, that. Well, we didn't have the, uh, initiation that men in the past had or other cultures had, you know, oh, yeah. With, I mean, as us men, we, we go through our edge, we penetrate things, we like to break things, and we need initiation, both as spiritual and physical men, and our society has gotten rid of that, so of course we end up uh, looking for initiation in drugs, gangs, violence, you know, so we need yeah. that, that sort of, uh, we need that help, that shamanistic help, and yeah, like you said, we've lost that to get us to understand our relationship with our bodies and to nature and to other living beings. So um, that's something else. So that's, yeah, drugs kind of come into that too. It's, well, it's really, uh, I, I think all drugs are uh, at the end. I think if you do drugs by yourself, it's bad. I don't care if it's marijuana or anything, but if you do drugs with a, somebody, a hero fund, somebody that's going to initiate you and what they do, how they expand your mind, everything, then they're good. So yeah. that that's my stance. I think they should all be legal right. because uh, I'll think, you know, if we live in a country of rights and freedoms, but I do think that uh, they need to be taught in a ritualistic sense. 100%. And I think, you know, it's, uh, this is another thing that I get from Alcoholics Anonymous is that it's not, there is nothing wrong with alcohol. It is no. my relationship to alcohol. That is the problem. And um, so a lot of, and I had this thing with marijuana too, where like I wasn't using it in a ritual way, but like, and, and mushrooms, man, if I, when I would just pray to them and then eat them, it was a completely different experience than when I would just be like, Oh, let's party. And just like ate a handful of mushrooms. You know what I mean? Right. right, Yeah. Like those things actually, um, I had an ex- like a like a shamanistic dismemberment experience like a week before I got sober, um, but I had just eaten these mushrooms. Like, hey man, you got some mushrooms? Let's just do it, you know. And um, had this experience that, like, at this point now, I look back and I can see like, oh, that was preceding my sobriety. Like that helped me, right? Like they helped save me. I had this experience where I was like torn in half. And something put, like, took something out of me and put something else in. Really? Wow. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Dionysus being torn to shreds and eaten by the Titans. Right. Oh, yeah. I like that. And uh, I know you said that you've had, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you had ayahuasca experiences? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I did a few this summer. Yeah. And it's simply amazing, but I had the right uh shaman to guide me 
So it was amazing. And that's the other thing where AA sort of drops the ball because they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh my God. You can't use medicinal marijuana for your, you know, your eyesight or your Crohn's disease. That's relapsing. No, no, no. It's fine. Oh, you can't do a ritualistic and theogens. That's a relapse. No, it's not. Well, that's Bill like, Wilson, you know, Bill Wilson dropped acid. So I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he was on the right track. It's a pity that he, once it had street value, he ran away. I wish he'd stuck with it, but that's, that was at the time when the CIA got a hold of it and was like flooding the streets with it. Because again, uh, LSD without a, a shaman is, of course, dangerous. It's uh, Yeah, I think that's part of that MKUltra thing, right? Where it makes me wonder kind of about like how it's coming back into vogue now. Um, because I think that they have incredible healing potential. And I think that these spirits are like powerful, wonderful allies. But like you said, without that framework, it does make me wonder like who like who's going to be the shaman you know like <laughs> yeah well they don't want it they want this power and it's a i like what you say don't call them drugs mushrooms marijuana or anything they are the spirits yeah. but if you just let them loose in the population spirits are going to do what spirits are going to do yeah, they're tricksters well, they're powerful mm -hmm. so you need guidance i used to think Oh, marijuana is a good drug to legalize. I honestly, looking at the statistics, I think it's doing more damage than good legalized because, again, nobody's being initiated on how to use marijuana. I mean, there's right. a reason. I mean, the Europeans have are very strict about how they drink their alcohol, right? You drink wine with your dinner. You have a sherry. It's very ritualistic yeah. and in a way spiritual, and we need that instead of, like you said, people just snorting drugs, you know, taking all these drugs without any guidance. Yeah, and I think it definitely bears out in my life that um, if when the fact that we're not initiated in a like the framework for initiation really helps it to be. It might not be less dangerous. It might just still be as dangerous, but it gives it a outlet, right? It's almost like um, remediating the energies of a planet or something. Like here is the place where Mars can act. Like if I work out then those Martian energies can kind of flow through that. Uh, it's a similar thing where, because in my life, I was not initiated. And so like the world initiated me, you know, um, through addiction. And then I went to jail for like a stretch. And then, you know, um, eventually by some sort of grace, uh, came into the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and so that, but it's interesting too because even though there wasn't a framework there was like the spirits did the spirits were guiding me because i ended up here you know so it isn't uh, like a hopeless thing right no your soul was always trying to get you out of the the mess you put yourself right <laughs> so eventually it did and the god said all right <laughs> yes uh and there's definitely that yeah i can see that hand especially looking back um but you know, I had to I had to go into that one hundred percent. Like I had to lean into it. Like it's almost like when you start first started smoking cigarettes, you know, you almost had to try because <laughs> or at least I feel like I did. <laughs> yeah. Like I had to push yeah. into that area of like, okay, I smoke these now. 
I don't yeah, know. The problem, had a yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it, yeah. I mean, the problem too is that then we look back and all the lies we destroyed, all the money we stole, all the things. So it wasn't like you, right. you know what I say. Oh, by the grace of God, we we did a lot of damage. We were part of something dark. Oh yeah, something really bad that was moving through us. Yeah, we were afraid. We were angry. We were lost. Uh, we were in a lot of pain, but we still were like tornadoes. Right. people's lives so well i was like really think that i was like an archon yeah i mean I, yeah <laughs> totally like i was just a force of destruction in the world like i was totally possessed um totally possessed and like not to yeah, say that it wasn't me think, either <laughs> yeah you think i mean i'm sure you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like i have no soul i am complete i'm like a, a kelepoth one of those mechanistic viruses of the universe that just consumes consumes so yeah it's uh it's definitely with tico or as they call yeah. it or the archon or the counterfeit spirit just completely taking over you i mean right. you are a machine and unfortunately in this uh secular age as they say if you're if you're a machine and you're just part of a machine then all there is is pleasure at any cost well let's do it let's take advantage of people because yeah. we're all machines right <laughs> it's not <real>. <laughs> <laughs> man um i also wanted to bring this up with you um there's this and th this is something that i talked about on my most recent episode um with michael simon and uh sharif clark have you heard this term upg unverified personal gnosis people will no, use I it so people will use this term in like occult circles to describe you know like information they've received from the spirit world and things like that um so i'm happy to bring it to your attention because it seems to me like almost like a psyop right because it's taking the gnosis and making it, um, it's putting qualifiers on it. Like, this is unverified personal gnosis. Well, like, isn't all gnosis that way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to look into it. But uh, just from just listening, it seems there's something wrong about it because it's not unverified. I mean, the whole idea of uh, the Gnostics and the Neoplatonists is they were educated, right? They were like, hey, we need to read books. We need to, that's part of gnosis. It's having a strong ego and a strong intellect so you can understand how this reality works. Eventually, you right. realize it's all a sham reality. It's a sort of a simulation, but you need to be as educated as possible because that's part of having a good ego. So you can verify this because there have been countless people before you who had similar experience, whether it was Philip K. Dick, Teresa de Vila, Paul of Tarsus, you name them. So you kind of can go and see what is going, and of course you can seek like-minded people. Whether like you know we go to AA and we talk about our our experiences, and so we oh okay I understand you had a resentment. I had, okay that's a resentment. Oh you right. felt the spirit. Okay, so you can verify it. Yeah, it's a little suspicious. Definitely very Gen X thing. It's like when I hear people say that it's my favorite one fascist adjacent i never understood that term like, well we're not calling you a fascist but we are you know you had you, you had you had a book or you had you quoted somebody that was questionable so you're fascist yeah. adjacent. so we're gonna cancel you anyway right just your cancel just just might as well yeah. just cancel first ask questions later 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, so that is some newspeak stuff, right? Like that really reminds or me. Or a get get out of jail card or something. Well, it's unverified, but I'm I'm gonna stick to this gnosis. This gnosis <laughs> says I have to uh, eat human flesh. Or something <laughs> stupid, you know, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point. Um, it d- definitely has a tinge of newspeak to me, and like this whole guilt by association thing is worrisome. Um, because that's witch hunt stuff, right? Like, well, it's a a it's a logical fallacy, right? I mean, I understand, you know, our, I think our parents or grandparents are right. It's like, we know who you are by who you hang with, but that's different than guilt by association, you know, sharing ideas and, uh, talk, having conversations with people in an intellectual way to discover higher truths. That's so, I mean, I get it. I get shit all the time because. People are never happy. They'll be like, uh, oh, I can't believe you had a Jew on your podcast. Oh, I can't believe you had a Christian on your podcast. Oh, why are you having a Muslim on your podcast? Right. <laughs> what? This guy's an atheist. How dare you have him on your podcast? It's like, dude, uh, I like to have conversations with anybody who has a Gnostic take. Uh, you know, uh, you judge them if you want on your life. But uh, this is the whole idea of uh, free speech free exchange of ideas you do it with people you don't agree with you do it with people who make you comfortable and you do it with questionable people yeah i've always found that really refreshing about your show um because you know you call it the virtual alexandria so it has to be like if you really want it to be that like if you're not like which you're not you're not just giving lip service to the thing if i want it to be the thing i have to let that thing happen which is let the ideas flow because alexandria was this place of of a crossroads of the world right right where all these ideas like buddhist missionaries and jewish thinkers and um hellenistic like astrologers and thinkers and you had all of that coming together so it just seems funny to me that people are like well what did you expect from the virtual alexandria like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, these are some uh, some insane times. Yeah, very Maoist, very Leninist uh, at times. Uh, I always love this uh, quote. I think it was Gary Lachman when trying to understand what Lenin and the Bolsheviks were about. He said it was a war against subjectivity. That's oh, it. Yeah, it was, nobody needed to have a perspective. Nobody needed to have an opinion. There had to be this formula in other words for humanity to thrive as this machine to connect with the glorious machine that was this cold universe that's how it had to be so uh, and i think that's what we have today in a lot of respects or always have had actually yeah it makes me think of that conversation that you recently had with gordon white about the imaginal and the kind of infiltration of this and for the longest time i, I was happy to see this because for the longest time i've been talking about um like there seems to be like this archon wants to like concretize the imaginal or like conquer it right or make it um in its own image maybe um and boring would be that <laughs> would be what that image looks like and um so just as we see that in art and in storytelling we can actually see it playing out in the world 
Yeah. Did you ever watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always like, in fact, I wrote an article how the Night King is very much like the Demiurge in the Gnostic myths because, and very much like the totalitarian regimes because what was the goal of the Night King? He wanted to turn everybody into zombies. He wanted to destroy nature. And everybody would be lifeless and mechanistic. This world of pure winner, where everybody's just walking around like robots, everything's sort of animated, but not alive. But it would be the perfect world, wouldn't be the world of the Night King, eternal winter and eternal ice zombies. And I think that's what these totalitarian regimes and the, the Archons want, perfection the perfect, beautiful, icy machine. And you can't have an opinion, can't have individuality, can't have have any fire in your heart. And it's certainly the days today here in 2023. Yeah, they want to take all that ickiness out of life, like all those icky, um, icky ideas and all that nasty disagreements and all these, like, let's just make it one thing. Right. And then, you know, it's almost like this for your own good idea too, right? Like, like, oh, it'll be so much better for you when you don't have to experience all that nasty stuff. We can just have you. Yeah, yeah. Again, uh, I talked about uh, uh, the idea of authenticity and safety. Yeah, we would, uh, we'll always be safe. We won't get our feelings hurt, our bodies right. hurt, nothing. Everything will be just fine. And that's... Uh, that's a that's a horror for some people. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's part of the population who would not mind for us to be one collective group thought, and you don't have to worry about pain. You'll own nothing and like it, and yeah, it, your day will be planned perfectly, and your life will be just so safe. And none of that, right? You won't that. you won't be fascist adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> none of that icky ins- uncertainty either. Right. Um, Which is interesting because it makes me think of, um, man, and I'm going to maybe get my book wrong. It's either in the secret book of John or the hypostasis of the archons. There's a scene where, you know, the archons craft the first human uh, after the reflection that they see in the waters um, from the aeons looking down above. Right. Do you recall what I'm what I'm talking about? Anyway, so they build this image of the first human, and it doesn't have a spark. It doesn't have a soul. And so it kind of like flops around on the ground like a malfunctioning cyborg or something. And this is where I, this is where I, you know, you call Sophia the goddess of smugglers. This is where I see her as that smuggler because what she does is she sneaks that divine spark into that being. And um, in my, take on it sort of tricks the aeons into caring about this world right like well there's a piece of you here now, so yeah or the well right but the aeons weren't getting involved they were just kind of looking right 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 yeah she needed to find that's a rescue operation yeah the idea the doom of the demiurge is that he he was allowed to put the spirit into his golem into his really badly made uh creation and you find that too in the creation myth of the cathars and the mandeans so it's fascinating how this went through a gnostic thought throughout the years or the centuries but yeah 
the uh, the demiurge or Satan creates tries to create humanity, this great creation, this Frankenstein monster, and it's just like yeah, flopping around like some uh, David Lynch, you yeah. know, <laughs> slippery uh, creation. So um, yeah, and it's Sophia who tricks him into giving part of her power or, or the spirit into it. And that right there, the Demiurge uh, basically signs his doom because that means there's always going to be the rebellion. As soon as she does right. that, the, the Empire may have his Death Stars, but the rebels will never quit. Right. And so that is interesting in the context of this conversation that we're having because it's almost like the the Archon can't get over. They can't get over the fact that they think that their original creation should have worked like let's get rid of that spark man it was better before (laughs) (laughs) well it's their drug they need the divine spark to sustain the universe like the matrix needs our electricity so it's almost it's a love-hate thing it's like well this thing sustains us but it can give us our doom so we need to put as much work to making sure that this spark doesn't wake up that it's buried deep within animal instincts and bodies and uh if not it could it will destroy us but we need it i guess it's like i said it's it's their drug yeah they feed off of that but they also at the same time like hate that they have to yeah it it seems like to me that they resent it oh yeah yeah for sure i mean uh yeah we hate our drugs but we love them remember it's uh it almost works (laughs) but we take more worked yeah <laughs> if only i just do a little more yeah <laughs> or if i change my dealer <laughs> yeah repress my feelings deep down a little bit more i won't remember what you know what happened to me as a kid or something like that right 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 so speaking of sophia um i always like to find examples of her in our culture and um which is, you know, another reason I enjoy your show because I think you do a great job of that. Um, what are some good images of Sophia um, that you've seen lately? Good images of Sophia. God, there's so many. Uh, are you talking about modern culture? Yeah, or... modern culture. Like, um, yes, yes. Like in TV, movies, anything like that. Anything that sticks out to you from recently? Uh, well, there's a show on Netflix called 1899, which is really good. Uh, but those, of course, start out the year with the Archons uh, hitting first. They cancel it after the first season. Oh, did but they it's a it? fascinating Damn. show. Yeah, yeah, because it's a show about simulation. It brings in Plato's Cave, uh, about uh, illusion, very Matrix, and it has a lot of Gnostic themes in it. But the uh, the main figure she's trying to remember who she is and at one point uh someone of the archon says no you are the creator you are and she's like no i'm the savior no you are the creator and it brings back to the sophia myth because sophia rebels and falls and creates this mess but she also has to fix things so she's both the creator Mm. and the and this the savior of this universe so right. um i think the 1899 is uh some good gnostic fair that really uh plays with the idea of sophia i like it yeah i just started watching it recently that's a bummer to hear they canceled it but then 
they tend to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, the ending is very cool and it's pretty pretty self sustained. It's like the what's the show the OA that also came in Netflix. Yeah, and that obviously uh, Britt Marlin or her character Prairie is very Sophianic, very divine feminine. And a very powerful show, and that show got canceled, I think, after the second season. But the ending could be an ending, or even Westworld, uh, yeah. how Westworld ended. Uh, Dolores is a very Sophianic character because, again, savior divine feminine that brings destruction but has to remember her celestial origins and deal with these demiurges that she's created. But the ending is also very self-sustained because it's sort of a simulation loop. Right, right. Um, I kind of found the female character. Did you watch, uh, 1883? No, my wife watches it, but I haven't gotten around to it. It's good. Check it out because there's a female character in that that kind of reminds me and I won't spoil it for you, but, um, I, I got, I got to think that they were channeling some of that blood meridian energy, some of that like Gnostic Western, uh, energy, because it, it reminded me of that a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's I pretty good. Around to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the reason I like to ask that is because I feel like it's interesting, um, and there may be some purpose to this, but like, it is hard to find images of Sophia in like iconography. Like, literally, try to Google her, and there's just not a lot. And you know, obviously, Google is an archon, but <laughs> it's maybe not. Well, the I mean, uh, yeah, the divine feminine <laughs> has been suppressed throughout history, but you do find it the iconography of Ashira, the ancient yeah. Hebrew goddess, and a lot of these goddesses, Athena, uh, definitely a Sophianic figure. Yeah, they're they're all over the the Shekinah in Judaism. Uh, uh, you can't, yeah, you can definitely find. I mean, right, Mary they're Magdalene. Always kind of, they're always hidden. Yeah, Mary Magdalene, and I think Mary as well right like yeah both are uh both are but yeah definitely more mary magdalene is certainly an avatar of sophia at least in gnostic uh, theology so she gets sort of um broken up into pieces i feel like and like maybe that's a way of secreting her to the people or maybe that's an arconic cover-up job i don't know but it just is interesting to me just as, as the idea uh, bearing itself out in the way things are right yeah yeah but i mean hey it's wisdom wisdom is uh I oh, think yeah. who was it as uh, rudolf steiner said wisdom is crystallized pain if yeah. you want to know wisdom you got to go through hell you got to go to hell and back and you have to put a lot of pieces together that's that's how you become wise that's how you uh encounter wisdom very nice yeah, that makes sense, right? Wisdom isn't just um, in the open for all to see. She is sort of obscure. You have to search for her. You have to engage with her. Um, it's not just free. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah, philosophy is just love of Sophia, love of wisdom. Very nice. So what how, what do you think about um I wanted to hear your opinion about AI. I mentioned it earlier, but um there's a lot of these like there's a lot of talk about it lately and I don't even really know how I feel about any of this stuff if it's even real. You know, like is that true AI or is that just an aggregator? 
all these AI art things. What's your Gnostic take on that stuff? Yeah, it's just shit. It's not yeah. shit. It's, it, <laughs> it's a tool. It's another tool, but it is not our salvation. It is not sentient or conscious in any way. I mean, even people like uh, Philip K. Dick and others wrote about it, that there's no way that uh, androids or AI will ever be sentient. It's just uh, the way it's been couched is very arconic. I mean, what's the example there's a philosopher, Bernardo Castrop, and he's uh, an idealist philosopher. He's been a guest a lot of times. Uh, brilliant mind, and he worked in tech as, a, I think, an, an executive for many years. And he's like, look, I, I, you, I can take your computer right now, and I can build the same computer using water pressure and pulleys and gears it will be the size of, you know, uh, Texas Stadium, right? Right. <laughs> it will, but it will have, because it will have, again, water pressure and all that. And But it will do exactly what the computer will do. I can type into this giant stadium and all these gears and water pressure will go. And it will give me the same answer as the computer. Same with AI. I could just giant, you know, uh, the size of a county. And it will be able to do the thinking that AI, but it's not conscious. It's ultimately still a machine. It's right. not it alive. It doesn't it does have not, that spark. Yeah, it doesn't have the consciousness that we have. The idea for metacognition and metaphoric thinking and abstract thinking and the idea of being self-reflective like we humans are at you know every second of the day. So right. uh, I don't think it's ultimately just another tech tool and it being couched as something else is ultimately arconic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and I also hear this, this kind of, there's a fear within occult circles that it's like, you're building just a perfect vessel for like a demon or a spirit to enter into. Yeah. You never know. That could be it. I mean, <laughs> I, I like the question somebody said, well, what if the AI does like uh, the Abremelin ritual or an, a Crowley spell? Would it work? I'm like, well, that's interesting. Let's find out. <laughs> we are <laughs> there. We are in virgin territory. Yeah, we need. Does it need a soul? Can it attract these? Cre- I mean, maybe spirits are like, why would I want to go there? What's the point? <laughs> right, right. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, because just like I think, a, there's an interesting, like the sigils of them sometimes look like circuits. You know, like yeah. a demon sigil can look a lot like a circuit. It just makes me wonder, like, okay, well, but maybe it already is. You know, it does say, and I think, um, I can't remember if it's maybe the Book of Enoch that the watchers fell into stones, right? And uh, these are just kind of like quartz and gold, and they are, they really do sort of remind me of like a Talos or something, right? Like, like our technology is is dressed up really fancy, but like you said, you could do the same thing with water pumps. I like that a lot. Yeah, and I mean, they could be right. I mean, we have to think. Uh, the alchemists believe that they could bring God into this pure matter. Uh, the Neoplatonists and their animated statues—they really thought that the the daemon or the presence of a god, not the entire god, could come and be into this statue. So. Yeah, you never know. So we'll see what these uh, techno magicians can have. But <laughs> the idea that AI will be conscious is like, uh, no, I don't know. Nah. 
but I think it's another Tower of Babel, to be honest with you. I think it's just one more thing that another distraction. Yeah. Technology yeah. will save us. Like these oh, these Silicon Valley idiots are gonna save us and bring us a democratic or yeah, it's another false paradise, utopia bullshit. There is no there is utopia means nowhere for a reason. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. Right. Well, it comes back to this idea of right, there's no one coming to save you. And the only person coming to save me is me. That's who has to do it, right? Right. Yeah, we go back to you're in charge of your awakening. That's your first job, self-knowledge. Then all the answers come. How are you going to be? What's your mission? What are you going to do well? There's, um, I think, Bob Thurman. He's Uma Thurman's dad. But he's also an incredible Buddhist teacher. Uh, his podcast is really good. But once somebody asked him, well, what's enlightenment? And he said, oh, enlightenment's being useful. <laughs> That's mm. it. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. Because in the good. animal world, animals do what's useful for the pack or for the survival of their you know, young and all that. They are in the zone. They are in yeah. the flow of the universe. We humans have more capabilities because of our minds and so forth. But to be useful means to be to understand our mission and how we can help humanity at every point. I mean, we go back, and that's what they say in AA, right? But it's yeah, make totally. the coffee, be useful, yeah. do something, be a <laughs> good dad, cares. be a good, yeah. yeah, yeah, be useful. <laughs> and I used to think, well, that's weird, but now we're, oh, that's smart. They're telling us to be enlightened. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, it gets me out of it gets me out of my head, right? Like right. that's the one sure thing that will get me out of uh, a thought spiral. Is yeah. Your imbalanced ego. Yeah. Cause we come with these fragmented wounded egos that don't need to be in charge of anything for a while. Yeah. I like that. Be useful. Uh, yeah. I think that's um, one of the, things that makes me think about like this original sin or like what what made us fall away from that like you know why like you talk about an animal right well an animal is always kind of in that zone and like what caused us to fall out of that and i think that's like the archon that's original sin that's this idea um and that's what causes empire, right? Is going, I don't know if I'm trying, I'm trying to put this thought together. Um, it's the same thing that makes us create empires and makes us get out of right relation with the, with the natural world is this idea. And I don't even necessarily know what the idea is, but I feel like it's, it, it's an archon because it's not, it comes some from somewhere else. Yeah, it's not natural. It's right. mechanistic. It's yeah. uh, its job. We're talking about being addicted. It's to consume and eat and create right. this lifeless world, the, the world of the Night King. That's his job. I mean, you know, when you're in your addiction, you wanted everybody to be like you because it was safer, right? Right. <laughs> do what yeah. do what you wanted to do. You were a demiurge. If yeah. only the actor in the play. If only the world was like I wanted, but the world that I wanted as a addict was a very lifeless death mechanistic world. So I think that's what 
Yeah, it's unnatural what the archons want versus our true nature as humans. Right. Um. Okay, so that brings me to this. I, I you know, um, I know you probably don't have a lot of time. We can wrap it up here soon. Um, but you often quote, and we may have already answered this question, and that's fine if we did, because that was kind of our whole discussion. But you often quote uh, Blue Oyster Colts, veteran of the psychic wars. Um, <laughs> that's a great song, man. Uh, as veterans of a thousand psychic wars, I do think that we're like uniquely placed in order to aid and assist those people who are waking up in this time. Um, and I, I know what that looks like for you because I can see you doing it. Like I could see it in your actions, but what advice could you give to those of us who are um, just stepping out of the fog? You know, I, I feel like I just was born three years ago, you know, so I'm still very young in this. Um, what advice could you give for us here in this time that we're in? Well, yeah, it goes back to uh, self-knowledge. I mean, your mission is to find out who you are, who you truly are, and then what you, be useful, be enlightened. It's that old saying, uh, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And all these texts say we all have a unique purpose to make the universe better. It may not be like our ego wants. We may not be movie stars or CEOs or rock stars or whatever. What, right. what our ego wants us to be, right? Right. It's going to be what our soul wants us to be. It could be you end up doing a podcast. You could be a volunteer. You could be an artist. Who knows? But it's there. And you'll find peace. Not even peace. You'll find ecstasy in doing this. But you have to find out. You have to get through all the programming that your ego has been uh, under all the fragmenting that's been happened to you and go deep within yourself to find your divine spark as they say and when each one of us does that that's when uh again we become more useful to ourselves and to the universe and whatever the rescue operation of sophia is so each one of us has it nobody's better than anybody i'm not better than you uh jesus is not better than me it's you know it's all this sort of uh this uh, was what they call in Buddhism, Indra's net, this right. giant net of light that really makes a harmonious universe. So that would be that would be my advice. Again, it goes it just goes back to the temple at, at Delphi. Know yourself. So and that's the the greatest adventure each one of us will find. I mean, the story of Sophia is the story of the soul falling from the heavenly realms going on this adventure in the world of matter and coming back it's the hero's journey the mono right yeah so uh that's it and of course it's it's very it's a simple answer but again it's hard because you have to find your own path right yeah i love that her journey is each of our journey is a microcosm of that like we all have yeah, to yeah. get to this moment where and i know i had to where i get to this moment where i i was at the farthest away from the pleroma as i ever felt right like total isolation total like where the fuck am i like what is this right <laughs> yeah. and it was Your at that very moment journey. it was at that it's very moment where i turned around and started drawing closer right and um for anyone out there that doesn't think that's possible or for thinks that we're talking um crazy talk you know I could see an exa two examples of it right here, sitting here, right? Like, it is possible. It can happen for you. And if you're in that dark place, just turn around and, and 
and realize that you're there. <laughs> you're, you know, <laughs> they say yeah, wherever yeah. you go, there you are. Well, that's where you are. But yeah. I don't have to have that experience anymore. I and um, I don't have that experience anymore. You know, maybe small versions of it. And I keep pushing into new territory. Like it says, I can't rest on my laurels. See, I thought that just meant I had to continue um, doing the spiritual stuff. But really, that's with everything in my life. You know, I have to always be pushing into new territory, asking those questions deeper and deeper. Who am I? What did I come here to do? Um, and that's been my experience with it. Yeah, it's like the old saying: "Everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear." Right, fear the is just you. Hunter holds the treasure you seek. Yeah, and all fear is is again you wanting to control everything. I want to control life. I want to be safe. I want to control my bank account, my wife, my yeah. kids. I want to control my boss, and it's control. So fear wants me to control, and when I let go, I uh, the soul brings all the answers and the flow to something bigger man and it really like when i'm able to do that in in the morning and i've been recommitting myself to this lately you know because i'm i'm grateful to be able to recommit myself to this every day um but when i just set aside my ideas for what i think my life can look like all of a sudden it becomes something beyond what i could even imagine because my own idea of what it should be is actually not as cool as it can be. No, 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 no. It's uh, something, there's so much that you can't even imagine is out there. And again, most of it is just this experience, the sublime experience of oneness and purpose. And, and it comes and go. Again, the universe is programmed to make us forget every second of the day. So, uh, Well, yeah, and that's also, I think, part of the idea of being the Bodhisattva, right? Like, I have to walk down into the valley of life and experience life. Like I would love to stay up on the mountain, but I don't. I personally, and that's fine if, if anyone does, but personally, that's not my path, you know? No, spiritual bypassing is not the path to be. I think people always mischaracterize the Gnostics. They say, well, they wanted to escape and become divine. It's like, no, they wanted to become human and divine. I think the Corpus mm. Hermeticum says, our unique position in the universe is that we are both God and animal. That's what makes us unique. I love it. So to be, we have to be fully human and fully divine. Just like the Christ. There. Right? Yeah. So we have that Christ consciousness within us, you know, um, that that is the expression of God in us. I like that Exactly. A lot. Exactly. So uh, I'd like to hear you some somewhat... Um, Talk a little bit about um, the Virtual Alexandria Academy, if you would. Yeah, that's uh, uh, something that people have asked for for years because I've had the podcast, books, articles, YouTube, all that jazz. But uh, I put out sort of a dedicated agnostic course, uh, four modules, about 20 videos, which gives individuals a... Uh, sort of a, a snapshot or a good uh, course on understanding or grasping what, what Gnosticism is about. So uh, that's been live since December. It's been uh, very successful and it's going really well. So for your listeners, if they're interested, just go to uh, thegodabovegod.com. That's my website and I've got all my stuff. Beyond, again, Beyond the Gnostic course, I've got the podcast, videos, articles, social media, 
all that stuff if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about this ancient heresy. Yeah, I love it. Um, there is so much, like the thing about Gnosticism and the thing that I would invite any listeners that are interested in it to dig deeper is that it always seems to keep giving. I never can get to the end of it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, all religions are living religions. I mean, uh, they interact with reality, with culture, and they're changed. I mean, Christianity, Judaism, all these religions are living and they're a blast, and they they morph, they change. You you change, and you see new dimensions and perspectives. So it's uh, that's the fun part. And again, it's all couched by mythology, which is just unending entertainment and insight. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else that you want to share? Anything you've got coming up that you want to plug or anything like that? I know you just gave everyone the the dope on that, but uh, anything else? No, not at the moment. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talk to me, man. It's been a blast talking to you. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you for thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. And uh I hope you enjoy the rest of your uh your Sunday, Miguel. Sounds like a plan. Thanks again. Cheers. Thanks. Do you experience weird shit? Do your parents not like to tell their friends about what you do in the woods? Do you make more friends in a graveyard than you do at a party populated by living humans? Do you have interactions with beings that are not strictly considered human? Do other people look at you like you're crazy when you mention talking to trees in casual conversation? If you fist pumped or even just answered yes to any of these questions, you may be a nightbird. So let's sing together. If you'd like to come on the show and flap your gums with me, share your stories, or just talk about the malleable nature of reality for a while, then send me an email at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. That's tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. I'd love to have you on the show. But until then, I gotta fly. But before I go, let me say this. Remember, you are never alone. I believe you.